0: Yeah,
1: and we're back with another all new episode of brooklyn paper radio this is brooklyn paper editor-in-chief anthony retunno and my co-host johnny kunan johnny
0: doing johnny kunan what's going on tony
1: not too much um not too much johnny uh very excited for today's show and you know without rushing into it um i Kind of want to rush right into it. Well, let me mention our sponsor before we do. Please do, because without them, we couldn't have this very exciting show. That's exactly right. And today
0: we are brought to you by Brookdale University Hospital, part of One Brooklyn Health System, the leader of healthcare in East Brooklyn. It's Heart Health Month, Tony, so you
1: got to know your risks. Yes, absolutely. And we've been participating, as uh, readers and some listeners know, with the Go Red campaign this one month for women's heart health awareness. Heart disease is the number one killer of women across the country. So it's very important to have your heart checked regularly.
0: So visit them online at brookdalehospital.org or give them a call at 718-240-5600 and know how your heart is doing. Very
1: important. Your heart, you only got one heart. Well, I guess you can have more. I just watched Vice over the weekend and I think Dick Cheney had several hearts, but Wow! You should try to make the most of the one you're born with. Absolutely. Um, so, Johnny, today we've got a really exciting show. We're about a week away from the city's uh, election to pick the next public advocate, Big the top. citywide watchdog. It's a, it's a. Some say it's an important seat. Others say it's an unnecessary seat. But it's a huge election. There are candidates in the double digits vying for the seat. And with us today um, is our politics reporter Kevin Duggan, who's been following the race, going to the debates, talking with the candidates who are vying for this seat. Um, Kevin, tell our reader, our listeners rather, um, you've already told our readers a little bit about the race, who's running, what the seat is is you know meant to do, and whose names they're going to see on the ballot next Tuesday, February 26th, when the polls open.
2: Okay, so the public advocates race, um, the vote is on February 26th, and it is the first citywide nonpartisan race. So there's no uh, no Democrats, no Republicans uh, on the ballot officially. They all have their own parties. And we have currently 17 candidates that will be on the ballot. So that's a lot to deal with.
1: That's almost a third of the city council
2: yes um and you've got you've got candidates um you know you've got current politicians sitting council members you've got assembly members you've got activists you've got uh the former council speaker uh, melissa mark riverito um Jumaane williams flatbush councilman rafael espinau uh, bushwick councilman uh michael blake uh bronx assemblyman so you've really got a wide range oh i should also mention uh nomiki Konst has been quite a prominent candidate she's a journalist and activist um yeah so there's there's a lot of these uh you know you've got you've got a really wide range and basically i guess um, kevin just one yeah. second
1: why do you think there are so many people who want this seat it's like what question. is it about this seat that's drawing 17 people to the stump?
2: um i think it's basically because it is as one of A few citywide offices and um, the public advocate has quite a uh, prominent pulpit from where he, she or they can uh, proclaim, uh, you know, uh, what they want to promote so they can introduce legislation on a council level. They can't vote on it, however. um, Interesting. uh, They are also kind of an ombudsperson for the city. So residents can voice complaints with them and then they can uh, basically uh, go to city agencies and figure out what's going on. Um, One of the big uh, prominent things that uh, previous uh, public advocates have done is the city's worst landlords list, which uh, the former public advocate Tish James put NYCHA at number one Before she left the office. Right.
1: That was her big sort of final farewell to the seat.
2: Yeah. Sort of. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So they might not have actual power to vote on these legislations, but they can kind of promote them more than maybe an individual council person could. So I think that's been one of the big draws for many candidates. Uh, And also it has been uh, kind of a launch pad for higher office as well. Yeah. Some
1: critics have pointed that out. Um, You know, obviously, the most recent public advocate, um, former Fort Greene Councilwoman Tish James, is now New York State's new Attorney General, and Mayor De Blasio also held the seat before her. Correct? That's right. Yeah. That's Sounds right. like we've got our first candidate calling in. On um, before we open the phone, we will say we do have a few Brooklyn candidates calling in. And hello, is this Councilman Rafael Espinal? Yes, it is. Terrific. Well, Councilman, thank you uh, so much for calling in to today's special Brooklyn paper radio episode dedicated to the upcoming public advocate election. We were just telling our listeners a little bit about the race in general, about the crowded field, about why all 17 of you are gunning for this open seat. Um, And listeners, uh, Councilman Espinal is, as Kevin pointed out, a handful of Brooklynites running for the seat. Um, So. Without further ado, I, you know, our first question to all of our candidates calling in today is, you know, in case our listeners haven't watched any of the debates or kept up on the ongoing coverage, we'd love to for you to give them your your sort of elevator pitch as to why you're the man for the job right now.
3: OK, well, uh, you know, as, as every other New Yorker, I, I'm concerned about uh, the direction our city is headed. Uh, I feel that the city has become a lot less livable over the past 10 years and we are uh, heading towards a place where more and more New Yorkers are feeling that they are either being squeezed out or they're they're choosing to move out because of how hard it is to live in New York City. So I think that we need a public advocate that's gonna be able to put a plan in place that's gonna make sure that in the next 10 years we're we're implementing policy, also advocating in Albany and locally on ideas of how we make New York City a more livable city across the board. That's looking at affordability, that's looking at making the city greener. That's looking at improving our transportation, making sure we're making the right investments in NYCHA. And, uh, you know, my, my campaign has a plan to deal with a lot of those issues. Uh, you know, I think we're tired of seeing like, the officials, um, you know, using the same old playbook to deal with the same old problems and just getting the same old results. You know, New York City has become a city that is being driven by crisis and not real bold ideas uh, as a council member. I've been able to put forward plans and ideas that has really affected all New Yorkers. And I think as public advocate it will give me the opportunity to elevate my platform and really speak for all New Yorkers.
1: There you go. Well, that's strong, a simple, strong pitch. strong pitch. Strong pitch. That's uh, my co-host Johnny Kunin, who's also on the mic. Yeah, uh, thanks for taking the time to talk to us in studio today. And we also have our uh, politics reporter Kevin Duggan, who I know has spoken with yourself and your campaign over the past couple of weeks. Um, and has been following the race closely. And I know Kevin has some questions uh, for you, you know, about about your campaign and your specific vision for the seat. Um, so we're going to toss the mic over to him.
2: Hi, Councilman. Uh, it's Kevin here. Um, I guess the first question that is on many people's minds these days is uh, what was your reaction to Amazon pulling out of New York City on the recent Valentine's Day?
3: Yeah, I mean, I know that there are a lot of mixed emotions across the city. Uh, but I personally uh, was against the idea of trying to urge Amazon to come into the city of New York since the beginning. I'm one of the few elected officials in the city that did not, that did not sign a letter uh, that was that was penned uh, by the mayor and the governor to Mr. Bezos, urging them to consider our city as one as one of their sites for HQ2. And the reason I didn't sign that letter is because I was concerned about you know Amazon's labor practices. Uh, how quickly it's been growing as, as a corporation that's been trying to take over the retail market over the years and is succeeding. Uh, and also, if you look at the impact Amazon has had on Seattle, on, on its just overall uh, livability of the city when it comes to the cost of living, the infrastructure, uh, it, it has been a big problem for for the city of Seattle. And there are a lot of residents there who who attest to that. So I was concerned about the impact of of, of the company on New York City, a city that. I believe uh it thrives is because of its diversity and its marketplace uh and we should be promoting uh, our local businesses looking for ways to support uh the the everyday uh mom and pop or startup uh that that's really 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 uh, uh contributing to our city of New York and and I didn't believe Amazon uh, was was in it to make the right contributions they were I think they were looking uh for a, a city that would help with their own brand uh and a city that will help them continue to grow
2: Okay. Um, I I, if
1: I can it. just jump right in just before we move from Amazon, you know, what's interesting about the whole deal and, and the, the timeline of it all was that it really kind of, you know, it, the deal itself was announced, if I recall, back in November, I think after, you know, the the, the election. So, you know, the, your, the former public advocate, uh, Leticia James, she had, she was campaigning, if not had already won, you know, her seat as attorney general. Obviously, she hadn't vacated office, but You know, I think it's reasonable to say that the timing of it all, you know, made that issue something not at the forefront of her radar, considering what else she was doing at the time. And since then, you know, obviously, there was a lot of opposition to the way the deal was made and announced. But over the past several weeks, I think, you know, it would be it could be argued that people came around to it once they realized that it was something that was. Allegedly going to happen, and then the sudden announcement of the of the pullout kind of roiled emotions across the spectrum again because people had kind of come to terms with it, and you know were kind of looking at the positives. Obviously, some people never came to terms of it. The long story, endless point I'm trying to make is: if you were in the seat, like, how could the public advocate have maybe better, maybe invo- involved him or herself in that process to make it? you know, better throughout, and even potentially kept the deal alive even amid the opposition?
3: Well, I just, I just want to, I guess, start off by saying that, you know, Amazon pulling out uh, is a result of, of many reasons. Uh, one, uh, the city, the, the Amazon, the company wasn't ready to, uh, you know, make the right investments or commitments or even uh, willing to uh, renegotiate, I guess, the deal that they have, they have uh, made with the mayor and the governor. And two, you know, since the mayor and governor did did this deal uh, behind closed doors, it it really turned off a lot of people, especially uh, legislators who wanted to be a part of that process. So just from the beginning, it was a a whole cluster of issues that that really has led us to this point. And I think the public advocate could have played a role uh, in being that mediator and and putting forward uh, the ideas and the plans that that New Yorkers and, and those advocating against it would have believed would have made a stronger deal for for Amazon to come to the city of New York.
1: Got it.
2: Um, I guess another question, uh, specifically because you're a councilman for Bushwick, uh, the L-train shutdown, which is now more of a slowdown, um, is a big subject. How would you, as public advocate, make sure that this runs as smoothly as possible uh, in the upcoming year or so? Um, And do you agree with uh, Assemblyman Michael Blake that the public advocate should have a seat on the MTA's board?
3: Well, I, I, do believe, I, I believe the MTA, uh, the Transit Authority, uh, should be controlled, uh, by the City of New York. Uh, is, you know, it, it is a, 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 transportation system that only, uh, the five boroughs relies on, and to have, uh, clear control over, over the system, uh, would, would make it a lot easier. Uh, one, for us to hold fo- uh, folks accountable, but two, to really look at, you know, what investments need to be made, uh, in the overall system. Uh, I, I believe that, um, you know, we need to uh, get more investments, investments into the MTA. That's the only way we're going to fix it. I have an idea, and that's uh, recuperating tax dollars from Wall Street that the city and state uh, returns and rebates at the end of the year, about $11 billion, uh, that can go into the MTA, fix fix the system within the next four or five years. Uh, and when it comes specifically to the to the L-Train shutdown, uh, there, there is a, a, a bigger conversation that I'm part of, of, of why is DOT and the MTA uh, pulling back uh, the investments that they've committed to making in order to alleviate uh the pressure of, of the or the need of, of uh, alternative transportation right. for example where are we with the expansion of city bike uh, why are we not uh, continuing to uh, look at making sure that there are more bike lanes the buses that were promised we should continue to have those buses in place and i think not only because of the l train shutdown but just all of those investments would really make help help make uh, north brooklyn you know a fast-growing uh, part of our city a more livable area where more transportation options will be available to those New Yorkers.
1: Now, quick, really quick, on as a follow up to that, before we move on to our next question, how how would you you know you're you're a councilman representing neighborhoods that are hugely affected by the slowdown, shutdown, whatever you want to call it down. Um, how, as public advocate, would you have a bigger role in you know in in making those promises happen the bike lanes the amped buses the what have you how how would that how would the seat give you more ability to bring those to constituents than your current role as councilman
3: yeah i i think it's impo- i think what gets lost in this whole conversation is that the public advocate seat it, it is a position that is voted on uh by by the same New yorkers who vote for the mayor uh just 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 being and second in line to the mayor
1: correct Say it again. Second in line to the mayor. First in line line, to the mayor. Second in line to the mayor.
3: The the same electorate that comes out and and votes for for the mayor votes to be votes in for the public advocate. And we have to remember that with with that, with that, with those vote numbers, there comes influence. And there is a real influence um, behind uh, the public advocate calling agencies, uh, standing on City Hall, holding press conferences, uh, coming into local communities and, and really. Uh, speaking to these those communities because there is in strong influence behind behind that position because of the fact that the whole city votes for that for that for the public advocate.
2: Okay, um, and we we know the Times reported that um, the public advocate should he or she be elected in in February only holds the seat for a couple of months before there's another primary for the seat in September. Um, if you don't get the seat this time around, w- will you run in September for the position?
3: Actually, the primary has now been bumped up to June.
2: Oh, June. So, oh, wow. So even yeah. less time. Yeah.
3: And, and petitions will actually be going out on Election Day. Uh, for, oh, for my that gosh. Position. So it's it's really a tricky situation. Uh, I have not decided uh, what, what I'm going to do. I, I think uh, my hope is to win. Uh, and Once I win, I'll hold on to the seat. Uh, but if, if I do come in second place and I am not satisfied with, with, with the candidate, uh, that won the race, uh, I will people consider uh, running again.
2: Okay. Got it. Um, I guess uh, one more question that I had is you know, a lot of candidates promise a lot of different things from this office. Uh, what do you think are its, uh, you know, what would you change about the office as it currently stands? Would you give it more powers, like subpoena power or something like that, or anything else that you think? Well,
3: the up? office needs, needs uh, uh, a little bit of an overhaul. Uh, for once, uh, for, for so just to start, the the office budget is is not independent from uh, the mayor's and city council's budget process. Uh, we have to ensure the public advocate's budget is independent uh, to create true independence uh, and and allow the public advocate not to feel that they're beholden beholden to the mayor and the city council's, uh, especially during the budget time. Uh, two, uh, we should have subpoena power to be able to call uh, commissioners in uh, to be able to question in a in a real forceful manner. Uh, on why the agencies are not doing their jobs, or why initiatives are failing uh, New Yorkers, uh, and we need to also increase the office's budget. I, I do believe the public advocate should be able to have uh, more of a presence uh, across the five boroughs, especially in, in places that feel often ignored, like South Brooklyn. Uh, Staten Island is another area I could I could I could point out to. Uh, so so I, I imagine having district offices across all five boroughs, then New Yorkers can have direct access to to the office of public advocate.
1: So one one question, you know, I'm looking at Kevin's prepared these very copious notes and and questions, you know, for for our guests today. And, you know, he's listed all the candidates or some of them with their, you know, their platforms, Um, yours being Livable City, uh, your fellow councilman Jumani Williams is being It's Time, Let's Go. Do you think, you know, because it's a, a nonpartisan race and you're not necessarily going to be identified as a Democrat or a Republican on this ballot, um, how do you think that will affect the way the vote falls?
3: Well, I mean, there there is a lot of talk around whether or not a Republican can actually win in this race if they're able to activate uh, Republican voters. And I, I think that's a real concern. And uh, New Yorkers who are concerned with that idea and notion should come out to vote. This is why why it's important uh, that we um, you know create enough awareness uh, to ensure that isn't the case. Uh, so, I mean, I, I would also say that you know it's important for New Yorkers to do their research on, on all the candidates, especially the Democratic ones. You know, while, while we all might be similar on, on the progressive spectrum, I think we all have different ideas of how we're going to tackle the job. Uh, the reason I chose the livable city party line is because I, I want to see New York City to be an inclusive and diverse city and one that's accessible to all New Yorkers, especially the, the ones that want to continue living here. Uh, so I, I think that folks should look at look for what resonates the most with them.
0: And before we let you go, I just wanted to ask you about your uh, Green Roofs initiative and uh, going green in NYC. What, can you talk a little bit about that?
3: Yeah. So uh, I, I, I believe that every single rooftop in New York City should be green at some point. Uh, Portland, Oregon, San Francisco, Toronto – uh, have all uh, created mandates on on developers and building owners uh, to uh, commit a portion of their rooftop to be green. And what that means is that, you know, a green rooftop would, uh, you know, clean our water, clean our air, uh, you know, be able to uh, hold down to uh, stor- stormwater runoff, which creates pollution in our waterways. Uh, and it, it has a whole host of Um, you know, positive attributes that I I do believe will make New York City a greener city, especially like lowering the temperature uh, so that during the summer months uh, the city won't be as hot as it is. So I think it's one way we can start uh, fighting climate change and making New York City a a greener city for all New Yorkers.
0: Uh,
1: I'm a big fan of that. Yeah, I think well said, uh, Councilman. Um, Before, yeah, as Johnny said, before we let you go um, to accommodate some calls from your fellow candidates. Um, I just wanted to ask, is there anything we haven't touched on regarding your candidacy or any sort of issue or point that, you know, you really want to drive home to our listeners six, seven days before they hit the, the ballot boxes?
3: I think we covered a lot, but I, I just want to uh, just say that you know, this is a very important election. Uh, I do believe that because in two years uh, we're going to be voting in uh, 40 new council members and and a new mayor, uh, we need to make sure we have a public advocate in place uh, that understands, the, you know, the role of the city and state governments. I have served in both bodies. Uh, I'd be able to effectively uh, go up to Albany and advocate for uh, stronger laws like stronger rent protection. I'll be able to work here in the city, uh, work on legislation that's going to drive the direction of our city forward. Uh, so I do believe it's important that, that, that folks look for someone uh, who has experience but also has been proven to put forward bold ideas uh, to change the direction of our city. Uh, so I hope they come out and vote uh, for Rafael Espinal on the Liberal city party line.
2: All right. Thank you, uh, Councilman. I had one more last question. Um, and it's sure. also so our third, two- third last <laughs> one. Yeah. You're just that good. <laughs> that's, that's, you keep um, prov-
1: provoking more queries from us.
2: Uh, you said you would run in the June primary, as it is. Uh, if you do win, would you serve the full two consecutive terms that the public yeah. advocate gets? you uh,
3: and I think that yeah, it's, it's important also to note that uh, whoever wins this race potentially could serve as a public advocate for the next 10 years I think that you know all great ideas and plans uh, usually have a, a 10-year outlook uh, so it'll be important to have a public advocate who's gonna who's gonna take those those terms seriously and, and put forward uh, policy proposals and ideas that that the next administration can take on uh, to push New York City in the right direction
1: okay. This is not a joke. I actually have one more question because we've got a councilman. We've got a councilman on the phone and the other, you know, the flip side of this of this whole election and office is that there are elected officials who want to abolish the seat, Um, uh, namely a a Brooklyn councilman, uh, Midwood councilman Common Yeager, who introduced legislation that if passed would, you know, create a ballot referendum about whether or not we even keep the seat. Um, I don't necessarily want your opinion on whether or not the seat is viable because you're running for it, which I think right. confirms that you believe it's necessary. But I would love to know, with regard to that specific legislation and your, um, you know, your intimacy to it with to it because you're in council. What is that? Is that bill moving? Is that bill stalled? Is that bill going to see the mayor's desk? What do you think?
3: I mean, from from the moment it was introduced, I, I, I didn't believe it was a viable bill. I thought it was a joke. Uh, I don't think it's going to go anywhere. There has been no internal conversations that I'm aware of about seeing that, that bill get a hearing. Uh, so, uh, you know, I, I really don't believe it's going to go anywhere.
1: Okay. Well, that, I think, is the last All one. Right. We'll let you go. Um, but again, thank you for calling in. It's been a pleasure. And um, listeners, this is Councilman Rafael Espinal running on the Livable City Party line in next Tuesday's public advocate election on February 26th. Councilman, thank you for your time.
3: Thank you guys, appreciate it.
1: All right. So, yeah, um the councilman is one of several Brooklyn Brooklynites running um for the public advocate race. Readers of our newspapers have likely seen his advertisements inside them. We, you know, several candidates have taken out ads. This this show is not to be an endorsement of any of them. It's meant to be an informative pre- that allows you to make your own choice. And as I spit that out, we've got our second public advocate candidate from Brooklyn calling in. Hello. Tell our listeners who this is and where you're calling from.
4: How are you doing? This is Tony Herbert. How's it going?
1: Very well. Thanks, Tony. Um, You're joining myself, Tony Rotano, otherwise known as Anthony Rotano, co-host of Brooklyn Paper Radio and Brooklyn Paper (laughs) Editor-in-Chief. My co-host, Johnny Kunin, and hey. our political reporter, Kevin Duggan, whom I know you are aware of because of his close coverage of the public advocate race. Right. Hello. Right. Thanks for taking the time. Um, oh, so, thank you
4: for the invitation.
1: Yeah. So, Tony, uh, we just got off the phone with uh, Brooklyn Councilman Rafael Espinal. Okay. Um, and...
4: Hold on. I'm just trying to get into an area so I can really hear you guys with no problem. Sorry.
1: That's okay. Set, set yourself up. Um. In the meantime, we were just reminding our listeners that, you know, we've got several Brooklyn-based candidates running for the seat, calling into the show, including Espinal yourself, um, but some we extended invitations to could not make it on. Those include Councilman Jumani Williams, Assemblywoman Latrice Walker, both of whom are also running for the seat, both of whom represent Brooklyn, but could right. not make it on. Um, but Tony, now that it sounds like you're in a quieter place, we're beginning each interview Um with inviting the candidate to give their elevator pitch to our listeners about why they're the best person for the seat. So I'd, we'd love to, to to have you share that.
4: Well, you know, first and foremost, thank you again. Um, I'm actually running uh, for the most part, part because I've actually been doing the work of a public advocate for the last 10 years. It has been my position having worked for our elected officials like Congressman Ed Towns working for city council uh, member Priscilla Wood, may she rest in peace, and also working in the state senate, that I take those experiences of having worked in their offices and doing community work um, on budget and services is what we call it, that, you know, I want to expand on that. I've actually had, uh, once I'd stopped my employee with government, I started my own organization because I felt that there was something I needed to continue. And that was to be able to be a voice and help people to get access to the resources they need. So, taking that experience on both the federal state as well as the city council level, I decided that my organization, Advocates Without Borders, was going to continue that work, but I wanted to do that because this was something I knew I had to do, and I didn't, I didn't get paid for that. I didn't ask to be paid. It was something I knew I had to do because I had the experience, and I felt I need to share that to help others out, who actually probably would have been um, been in similar circumstances as I was you know I wasn't born with a silver spoon in my mouth. Um, you know my family and I are post you know poster family for gentrification. We know what it's like to not be able to have a roof over your head. We were forced out of two apartments only to be pushed into an abandoned building and lived there for about eight and a half months. As soon as I graduated high school and got a job, I helped to move my family out of that and move us into a situation um, that, you know, was able to be a lot more comfortable and we weren't out in the cold. Was this all in Brooklyn, Tony? All that stuff has put me in this position to run.
1: Was that uh, was that um, sort of. Reaction to the gentrification—that was all here in Brooklyn, or was that elsewhere in the city? It was city? pretty much
4: the, the the beginning of all that because it kicked around in 1983 is when I went through it. Uh, <clears throat> quite frankly, and I was just getting ready, you know, just graduating high school. So yeah, that was kind of like the premise of it all
1: kicking off. Wow. So you you quickly uh, outlined your legislative experience, but um, for those who maybe. Missed it or couldn't get the names. Could you remind our listeners uh, what legislators you've worked for and about how long you were in those positions before you turned to your own advocacy group? I
4: worked for – well, my first job was in the city council working for council member Priscilla Wooten. I started in government in 1995, I want to say, 95, 96. And I worked with her um, for about two or three years. Uh, Then I went to work for Congressman Towns and then went back to work with her again in around 9 11 um, and then after that, immediately going to work for, uh, you know, the state senate where I was in charge of, I was a state director in charge of outreach in the African American communities around the whole census and the reapportionment, um, aspect of, of government, you know, uh, that time frame where, you know, every 10 years there's a census and we have to go out and make sure everybody understands that they need to get out and be participatory in the process and make sure information is out and that they're not gerrymandered or knocked out of their districts so they have an ability to vote for elected officials and whatnot. So culminating that, that actually catapulted me to a small stint down on Wall Street as a vice president of government affairs for an investment uh, banking firm where I was actually there to help develop opportunities for small business owners to get investment in their ideas. Uh, and then that actually pushed me over into running for city council when I ran across then council member James Davis, who at the point, may he rest in peace, he was unfortunately killed in city hall. Um, he, you know, I felt that he should not run unopposed. And having some knowledge of government and having work, you know, for legislators and understanding the whole process of budget and what have you, I figured I'd give him a run for the money just so he didn't run unopposed. I had no no vision of grandeur that I was going to win, but I just wanted to make sure that the people heard people make commitments if they're going to run for office and stay by those commitments, and that's why I ran against him.
1: Got it. Um, I have to ask, is that sort of spirit motivating this run? I mean, there are 17 candidates in the race. Obviously, some who I think it's fair to say have a little bit more name recognition than yourself. Are are you running as a foil to hold these people accountable, or do you believe well, I, you have a viable shot? I didn't
4: want to challenge that last one, that last comment, because truth be told, um, for the last 10 years, I've been in people's households you know, utilizing the tool that has made me the advocate that I am. Mm -hmm. And that was media. I've held more press conferences bring attention to, you know, to the issues, thus making my name somewhat of a household name. So I don't think that they have more name recognition. I think if not equal, given the fact that some of them have actually been doing some of the work in the community. But if not, you know, if you talk about a citywide set of circumstances, I think I have a little bit more dominance there.
2: Fair enough. Um, Hi, Tony. This is Kevin. Uh, One of my questions would be, uh, since you've been working in the council since the 90s, when the... Um, office was first established in 1993, you've kind of seen the office grow to what it is today. Uh, What do you think uh, you would change about the office as it currently stands? Would you give it more powers? Would you give it more funding? Um, Tell us a little bit about that.
4: All of the above. I would definitely look to get more funding because there's nothing more important than the people having access to their elected officials. And I think that the public advocacy, not that I think, I know, the public advocate seat is a very intricate seat. It is very much the, the meat and potatoes of community-based outreach. Um, if you have your public advocate outside integrated, working hand-in-hand with a lot of our community-based leaders, I mean, now, you know, those are on the ground. That gives them an opportunity to have more access to the information that needs to be trickled down to help the community grow. I always said that if, in fact, that you have a community that does not have information, it's ripe for gentrification. However, if you have a public advocate who has his, his or here. His, these are her ears to the ground, and at the end of the day, has the ability to reach out and touch everybody and thus be in a position of knowing stuff just as it either is happening or just before it happens and informs the community, the community is empowered. And that's what my candidacy is all about, making sure that the community has the information and the power to be able to move forward to make the decisions for themselves, not wait for the deals to get done and then all of a sudden get presented with something that has already been packaged and they have to buy into it. So,
1: kind yes, of like the, the amazon deal that just I fell think apart it's
4: grown from what it was
1: kind of kind of like the amazon deal that just fell apart
4: well the the amazon deal i i, I find that are some things that should definitely should have been worked out the community should have been at the table first and i think that would have been the better sell if you got if you had more community engagement by doing it sneakily and then coming in after the fact and telling people this is what it's going to be, I think that's what gave it its sour grapes, and that's why it's not here. And that's unfortunate, because our communities
1: need those jobs. Do you think a public advocate, because the seat is currently vacant, do you think a public advocate could have, you know, following the announcement of the deal, which obviously, you know, drew reactions across the spectrum, you know, many of which were negative because of the way the deal was was seemingly structured behind closed doors— um, but you know, in the time since that was announced, I think you you could say people came around to the to what was happening only to be shocked again that it fell apart. Um, do you think that if a public advocate were in office or if you were in office as public advocate, you would have you would have you know made the best of a bad situation and and kept the deal alive? or do you think there that there was any way for a public advocate to kind of stop that train from falling off the tracks?
4: I would have actually stepped up and, and, and really tried to push to make sure that the, the people's voice was at the table. And I, I would have definitely, having heard that that was what was going on before any deal was structured, I would have immediately reached out to the governor and, and attempt to reach out to the mayor. You know, oftentimes he believes what he believes and, and nobody else matters. So that's kind of like his circumstance. But I've act, I would have acted as an intermediary for the community to ensure that we had a seat at the table and be a part of the discussion to see how we can keep this thing going forward. And, and like I said, that was the component that probably was the piece that really, you know, broke this this whole thing apart because the community wasn't engaged properly, and I think that would have changed this whole dynamic. Not sell it to them after you've already, you know, inked the deal and then come back and say, all right, here's something for you guys to stomach, and uh, this is what it's going to be.
2: Um, Tony, on, on I know you are big on the issue of housing. Uh, one of the big things that Um, Tish James did before she left the office was to put NYCHA as the city's worst landlord. What do you think um, you could do as public advocate to, you know, help with the situation in NYCHA and affordable living in the city more generally?
4: Well, I I got a little creative, first and foremost. I have been helping to a large degree. Um, I serve as the citywide civic engagement chairman of that committee for the NYCHA NAACP. And have actually visited more than 180 housing developments myself over the course of the last 10 years. And understanding the dynamics of the issues inside public housing and having had firsthand experience of sitting with and working with and helping people to get their apartments fixed, what I would have done is exactly what I'm proposing at this point in time. To be truthful, I don't think that NYCHA can handle um, running its own businesses, uh, or should I say its business, with regards to NYCHA. So I have a recommendation that we actually allow for the Battery Park City um, authority to take over and manage NYCHA for us, thus also allowing for the public advocate to have a seat at the table and uh, you know be in a better position to ensure that NYCHA folks' voices are still heard. Uh, but yet the Battery Park folks understand what it is to run and manage. Look at all the great work that they've done, the billions and millions of dollars that they brought in. So I think that that would be a better template and we get rid of all the patronage that's associated with NYCHA. We get rid of all the negativity that's there and put this in the hands of some professionals that really know what they're doing.
2: Do you think the public advocate should have a seat on the NYCHA board?
4: I I believe the NYCHA board as well as the Battery Park, Battery Park, City Board.
2: Um, And in in the spirit of that, um, I know uh, your fellow contender, Michael Blake, said that the public advocate should have a seat on the MTA's board. Do you th- agree with
4: him? He and I agree with that totally. We've been agreeing on that in the whole, whole campaign.
2: Okay. okay. Um, I guess, uh, you know, many candidates promise a lot of things out of this office. Um, uh, do you think, you know, some of the candidates have may, may have gone too far in what they promised, like cancelling student debt and that kind of stuff?
4: I think a lot of folks, you know, are reaching, you know, with not understanding what the charter actually provides for with regards to the public advocate. I mean, conversations are great. And if you have the wherewithal to move people to action and if you can get past the political bruhaha of all the craziness that goes on in the politics, you know, with folks cutting deals and stuff like that behind the backs of the residents of our city. Yeah, I think that's a lot of promising that can't get done. But... If you're a a stand-strong type of person who understands the dynamics of government and understands what the office can provide for and have a real relationship or understanding of how to lobby, quote-unquote, your colleagues in the city council, I think that there's some legislative pieces that can be put together that can change some of those dynamics.
1: Tony, um, Councilman Espinal, your fellow candidate, reminded us that, you know, if— it, for, no matter what happens in this race, you know there's going to be a primary in June um, for the subsequent race. You know right. during the <laughs> the next election. Should you not succeed in the special election, is a primary? Are you considering a primary campaign?
4: I said that if I would come about in the top five candidates, that I would consider running in as a Democrat. You know, again as a Democrat in the in the upcoming primary.
1: Got it. So, but as he said, it sounds like you're of the same mindset. First things first, let's win the the special. Yeah, let's win
4: this, you know, this whole lot, you know, you know, with the hopes of being able to pull out, you see, this race is going to come down to whoever can pull out their base. You know, let's, let's keep in mind that, you know, this short window of time, the, the, the downplaying of this particular seat with folks wanting to cancel it, you know, and get rid of it, all of that stuff plays into the mindset of the voters. And the voters are, you know, I'll make a determination. Well, you know, nobody's really serious about this thing, so why should I go out there and vote? And we've heard people say that. Um, Sadly enough, it is an important seat, but the sad commentation behind it is the politics that's associated, you know, with individuals who want the seat. You know, and you've got to look at who's running and why they're running and what is the purpose of having this seat if, in fact, that you're, you know, somewhat saying that you don't want to be mayor then, okay, so do you want to be public advocate for four terms? I mean, or two terms, or, or you just want this so you could step, step into the next, next seat? I, for one, am not interested in running for mayor. I've never said I had an interest in doing that. would only take the position if it mandated based on the charter. God forbid anything would happen to whomever the mayor is. However, right. at the end of the day, I would love to serve two terms of public advocate and then go into retirement <laughs> for the most part.
1: <laughs> well, there you go. That was our follow-up question. You know, If you, if you are to win, would you commit to, to the two terms that you're entitled to? Um, totally okay well tony thank you so much for taking the time to chat with us and and to kind of you know tell our listeners a little bit more about your platforms and the campaign you're running um before we let you go you know we would love to turn the mic over to you and have you share you know if we haven't touched on any issues integral to your campaign or or the race or you know just get your last sort of thoughts out there for our listeners before they head to the polls next week.
4: I appreciate that. And thank you again for this opportunity. You know, this is a very important election. And it's important for a lot of reasons because now we have an opportunity to have a real voice and giving folks an opportunity to really see government work for them with the right candidate in place. This candidate who, who goes forward to become the mayor of New York will, should not be beholden to the establishment, should not be beholden to individuals who are coming to them with special interests. It's all about people in our community and giving them – in our city, I should say – and giving them a final voice that's going to bring the information forward and afford every living person in New York City an opportunity to say, you know what, I can respect government because I've got leadership in place that's going to make sure that we have the information we need to be who we are, respected, uh, productive citizens of this great city. And when it's all said and done, it's about making sure that we have strides moving forward. We've been talking about the same issues for the last 20, 30 years. Are we willing to put the people that created the problem back in office or the ones that are helping to sustain it? Do we want to put them back in office? No. We should move on to something new, do something different. And I propose to bring a lot of innovative things to the table that will afford the opportunity of every single person, every single New Yorker, to have a voice and have a seat at the table.
1: Well said, Tony. Um, Thank you again, listeners. This is – Tony Herbert, activist and advocate Tony Herbert, who is running for public advocate uh, on the back of his decades of st- local and state legislative experience in council and up in Albany. And he will be on the ballot on the residents' First party line next That's Tuesday, right. February 26th. Tony Herbert, thank you again for calling in.
4: Thank you, guys. Appreciate you. Thank All
1: you. right. Cheers. So Tony was our second Brooklynite running for public advocate, as we mentioned as he called in, we could not, unfortunately, welcome Flatbush Councilman Jumani Williams and Canarsie Assemblywoman Latrice Walker onto the show. Their schedules wouldn't allow it, but Williams, Walker, Espinal, and Herbert are, Kevin, Are would you say they're
2: sort of the four main contenders, at least based in this borough? In this borough, yeah, but we've got some other contenders that are very prominent as well. Yeah, give
1: our readers, our listeners, rather, I can never remember (laughs) which or which,
2: Um, Um, an idea of who else they'll see on the ballot. Yeah, so some other prominent candidates are former council speaker Melissa Mark-Riverito. She, um... She's running as well, as well as uh, Assemblyman from the Bronx, uh, Michael Blake, who also uh, he's the vice chair of the Democratic National Committee. So he's got some quite big titles to him. And he also worked under the Obama administration. Um, then we've also got a journalist and activist, Nomiki Konst, who hails from Queens. She's been quite a prominent presence in the first TV debate on uh, New York one last week. Johnny, you've been following Konst a little bit, no?
0: Yeah, kind of a fan. I actually have a question about, you know, the fact that there are this many people running. Uh, I want your opinion. You know, with seventeen people running, I like more than one of them now. Do you think there's any chance that some of them will drop out and back some of the other ones so that there's less people to choose Vote from? Splitting. And, yeah, I mean. What I, do I, who
2: do I, you know, I don't know who to choose from now, especially after these interviews. At this point, I don't think uh, they're going to do that, to be honest, because we've only got, um, you know, a bit of our week left till the vote. And uh, we've already had several, um, most of them are Democrats, and there would have been several options for them to line up behind one Democratic part, um, candidate, uh, but they haven't done so. So I don't think so. I think they're all going to try and get as much personal publicity out of this race in the remaining couple of days. I should also mention just before, uh, we've also got um, Dawn Smalls. She's uh, a lawyer and she, she's also um, quite a prominent candidate. She's She will also be in the upcoming debate this Wednesday, along with six other candidates that have met the funding and spending threshold set by the Campaign Finance Board to take part. And finally, we've got uh, Ron Kim, a Queen's uh, assemblyman as well, who is in the race. Um, that's uh, kind of some of the prominent ones Prominent ones out of the total of 17 people that will be on the ballot.
1: And also, I uh, correct me if I'm wrong, I believe the the sort of main Republican contender is also out of Queen's,
2: Eric Ulrich. Correct. Yes, he was in uh, the first TV debate. He will not be in this Wednesday's debate. Will not be in Wednesday's. No. And then what about the ever-vigilant wild card
1: anti public advocate, public advocate candidate Curtis sliwa who has been on the know, show, who's been the, on this yeah. show before, founded the Guardian Angels, you know, civilian vigilante group, and hates the office so much he said he wants to run for it.
2: <laughs> yeah. Is he still a way. serious candidate? Is that or is that is he, you know, is he gonna be on the ballot? Um, I'm not hundred percent sure right now if he's actually on the among those 17, uh, you had to ga- gather uh, 3,750 signatures, and some of them were contested. So, you know, even if you had the signatures, if they weren't all right, you didn't get on the ballot. So I'm not 100% sure if he got on in the end. But to be honest, I, I don't think he's a serious contender at this point anymore. I haven't heard much from his uh, campaign, if that's what you want to call it, uh, sure. for a good few weeks now. Well, so he's on the radio every day, right? Well, that, yeah, there oh. you go. Yeah, I think it was more it was more like a protest kind of thing to draw attention to, uh, you know, how what he calls uh, useless the office is. And he said he would bolt the door and like fire everybody if he was elected. So, <laughs> yeah.
1: Well, it's certainly an interesting race. Seventeen candidates. I mean, it's giving me flashbacks to the Republican primary back in you the fire. general election. Um, Kevin, remind our listeners where they can. Tune in. Can they tune in to the upcoming
2: debate? When and where will that happen? Yes. Yeah, so that's this Wednesday, February 20th at 7 p.m. on New York One. We'll be broadcasting it, and they will also be streaming it on their Facebook page. So if you don't have a TV or you don't have access to New York One, that's how to watch it.
1: So listeners, tune in, get informed, read up on your favorite, you know, candidate of the 17, maybe you're two, like Johnny, so you can kind of make flip that coin on the day of the election no you should always go in knowing who you're voting for um worth reminding you this person is next in line to be the mayor of new york city should the mayor drop dead so god forbid you know it's not it's not a nothing position um at least as far as the city charter feels or rules so it's an important race it's february 26th kevin duggan thank you for joining us and kind of contextualizing it a round of applause for you and for our candidates who were kind enough to join us. And before we yes. get to
0: the Bill Roundy 10 things to do, 5 things to do, whatever number of things there is to do, all the things to do.
1: Let's not quantify it. There are just so many things <laughs> yeah. to do.
0: I, I want to just get a, a word in from our sponsors. Uh, yes, who please. have given us the power to...
1: Without them, we could have not had that scintillating conversation. Riveting,
0: Really. Uh, so Brookdale University Hospital Medical Center is the leader in healthcare in East Brooklyn and part of a one Brooklyn health system that includes Interfaith and Kingsbrook Jewish Medical Center.
1: Tony, it's Heart Month. It's it the is. Month, it's Heart Health Month, as you it's know. Women's Heart Month. Women heart disease number one killer of women in the United States. As any readers of our papers know, we went where we went red mm. earlier this month to remind people of that devastating. Illness and statistic, and to get checked. Right. And so, you know, loving your heart
0: means understanding your risk. And at Brookdale's state of the art division of cardiology, their physicians and team of highly skilled nurses and technicians offer a full range of diagnostic testing and interventional treatment. So, what you should really do is at the end of this podcast, make an appointment, uh, visit them online at brookdalehospital.org, or give them a call, 718. 718- two four zero five six zero zero Brookdale University Hospital, the leader
1: of healthcare in East Brooklyn. Thank you to Brookdale for sponsoring this show. Absolutely. And so without further ado, yeah, you know, we overloaded you listeners with a lot of, you know, important technical, political information for the first half of the show. Now, I feel informed. I feel very informed. Um, But now it's time to take a load off. You know, we know you're planning on going to the public advocate election and voting on February 26th, but there are several days before that, right? What are you going to do? How are you going to fill that time? We've got one answer with activities suggested by our National Treasure Arts editor, Bill Roundy, who is joining us again in the studio. Hello,
5: everybody. Round of applause. Bill,
1: welcome back. Good to be here. It's always a better day when Bill Roundy enters the room. So, well, Bill, what are, what are we doing this week? What we got? What's on the agenda?
5: Well, I'll tell you. I know tomorrow night I am going to be putting the paper together. But if I were not here in this office, I would be up at Brooklyn Steel in Williamsburg. Oh, yeah? What's going on up there? Uh, ben Queller is going to be playing. Uh, now, The Ben Queller. Yes. Uh, I remember seeing him, because I'm a 1,000 years old, back in 1996, Uh, on the David Letterman show when he was 15 years old playing in a band called Radish. Oh my gosh. Which was sort of a, a sort of a grungy rock band. Uh, but he's actually gone on from being that Wunderkind, uh, to become a pretty well-respected indie rock star.
1: Well, good for Ben. And so Ben's performing tomorrow at
5: Brooklyn Steel. What time? Uh, I believe the show starts at 8 o'clock. He's going to be going on around 9. He's actually not the headliner. Uh, oh. It's some band called Hound's Mouth that I have not heard of, I'll be honest.
1: So come for the Queller, maybe stay for the headliner. We don't know. Yeah, but definitely come for the Queller.
5: Good. I'm sure. No, how bad yeah. could
1: they be? Who doesn't love live music? So that's exciting for tomorrow night. We've got a concert. What else is going on this week? Well, uh, I'm excited.
5: There's a new uh, public art project it's coming down to Brooklyn Bridge Park. Oh. it's called bridge over tree and it is just what it sounds like it's a bridge to nowhere that it goes over a tree interesting it's a it's a redoing of uh, it was originally uh, put together in Minneapolis in 1970. Um, but it's coming to Brooklyn Bridge Park.
1: Now it's going to be there for several months. Several questions. Do can you is it a bridge you look at or walk on?
5: I believe you can will be able to walk over it. You'll be it's like gonna, an enclosed bridge. Um, like one of those, you know, fancy ones of Madison County. Now
1: is the tree as part that's part of bridge over tree? Is that a tree already on site or do they bring the tree? You know what? We're going to go
5: down there tomorrow morning when they install it. We're going so to find we're going to out, check it out. All right. Because I would like lo- that. I believe something. the tree is not all that tall because you know you climb some steps to get over it and then it goes back down on the other side. Wow! Well, but that's going to be fascinating. It's like, just a weird enough
1: art project that I want to check it out. No, it sounds incredibly strange. Um, you know, there are two great bridges to look at already down there by Brooklyn Bridge Park. So you know, you know what they say: three is a trend um <laughs> i've exactly. never heard that you
0: i i like the expressions though i learned another one from you oh yeah a what week was ago that? was it the perfect oh, is the enemy yeah. of the good uh, yes
1: Valkner? voltaire that's not me i repeated it that's all i know it's somebody I who's smart out there knows yes the perfect per- voltaire i think perfect is the enemy of the good something like that yeah, know, yeah. johnny like i'm full of of
0: no crochets, i know it
1: i know it um which we don't use in the paper but we can use on the air all right, well, so we I, got
5: Bridge over a Tree. I do have a trend of two. Let's see if we can find a third. There Are going to be two fairy tale musicals opening in Brooklyn this weekend. Oh my God, wow. that sounds magical. Uh, first is Into the Woods, the Stephen Love Sondheim Into the musical, Woods, of course, uh, and that's uh, being done by Theater Twenty Twenty right here in Brooklyn Heights. Oh, terrific!
1: Uh, and so, some great. That's a, got a great. Uh, Song, I don't know what you. call It's not a score. It's you know the music for that is great. The song yeah,
5: fantastic. They just, I mean, a lot of people went to see the movie version that came out, sure, um, just a couple of years ago. But I wanted to actually see it live. Yeah, uh, I and,
1: saw it on Broadway once with Vanessa Williams as the um, as the giant, the which either the giant or the witch.
2: Good show well, though. She
1: was the witch. She, I think she was the witch. Oh, it was yeah. fa- fantastic. I mean, Vanessa Williams is iconic. It's a great show, family show. Good for good for the family,
5: right? And then also, um, the gallery players are doing the fairy tale musical "Once Upon a Mattress."
1: Oh my gosh, another favorite of mine. You know, I starred in that twice, two really? different productions. get out of here. Yes, You're um, the delicate prince. I was a page as a younger, a younger, uh, you know, kid actor, and then in my teens, I played Sir Harry, who was the supporting ma- uh, male lead. Who knew? I know. It's it's honestly that my theater career started and ended with Once Upon a Mattress. It was <laughs> the only show I ever was in. But that's another great show with great with great uh, songs, with great music. It's super lively. It's great for the kids.
5: Yeah, it's a really fun show and it's uh, starting at the Gallery Players on Saturday. Oh my gosh. I'm, I'm quietly working and, uh, on
1: a
0: Brooklyn Paper radio play. Uh just so you know, you'd be cast well, well, in I'd it. Well, I come out of retirement You'll for that? you be cast in it, absolutely. Um, Bill, there's a place for you as well. Once Upon
1: a Mattress, obviously, made famous by um, not a Brooklynite, but New Yorker Sarah Jessica Parker played the princess way back when, I'm fairly certain, on Broadway. Winifred. Um, it's a Getting great show. For a classic me. show. It's a great show. Um,
5: next on the list. Uh, and then also, I mean, this could suffice for the next ten entries, but New York City Beer Week. It's starting Uh off on Saturday with the opening bash at the Brooklyn Expo Center. Cheers to that. There's going to be 75 different breweries, 15 of them from Brooklyn. Terrific. Um, So tickets are a little pricey. Uh, They start at $75, but that gets you three hours of unlimited tastings of beer. Wow. What could
0: you do with three hours of unlimited tastings of beer?
1: You
5: You can... Probably... They give you the tasting glasses only. I think it's only four ounces. Is it a small ounces? glass? Yeah. Ah, you know, a okay.
1: lot of these events, it's good to remind listeners that, you know, when they are tasting events, they don't give you a pint. They right. give you, you know, a small glass. It's a... going to be two to four ounces. Okay. So, you know. Uh, but you, you ever hear about Power hour? a of those. I have heard of a power hour.
0: So there's a it's power three what hour I like right to there. call this program. Yeah, there you go. Uh yeah, all right. That sounds like a good
1: time. This is a good good week for who things to do. Who are some of the uh, the local brewers there? we got Coney Island Brewery. We got other half. Who are? I'm not saying they're there. I'm wondering.
5: Well, they they are both going to be there. Terrific. Uh, there's going to be Folks Beer from over in Carroll Gardens. Three's Brewing from over in Gowanus. Strong Rope. Uh, the Brooklyn Brewery, of
0: course. Of course, sure. Um, granted. Sounds uh, like
1: a- Braven Brewing a really refreshing way to spend your afternoon. Yeah, and there's actually
5: going to be two sessions. There's one uh, in the afternoon for the day drinkers. It starts at 1230. Uh, and then another session at night starts at 630.
1: And this kicks off a week, a 10 full days week of, of events? events.
5: Um, it, it actually concludes the following Sunday uh, with the Rupert's Cup, which is oh, a, yes. a competition for all of the brewers who are members of the new york city brewers guild so they have each made a special beer for beer week using only new york state malts and hops and so there will be a competition where they vote on which is the best one and that's going to happen done at randolph beer in dumbo
1: oh wow you know that randolph beer they're popping up everywhere there's one in dumbo there's one in williamsburg there's one over across the bridge in manhattan um on the Lower East Side. I love that place. Yeah, and they have that wall of beer
5: so you can serve yourself from just a series of taps on the wall. Wow. And that way you can get to sample all of the different, uh, well, they're called smash beer for beers for state malt and state hops. They taste
0: better the longer you do it, too. So, the longer you, know, you the longer you
5: participate
0: in this, the better it all. Oh, tastes. I see, sure. That's what I've found. That's
1: what I've heard. And yeah. my, in my um,
0: reporting, my journalistic reporting. That's what I've found.
1: Well, that sounds like that's, that's why a, you gotta take some notes. Yeah.
0: Yes. The, the best you, just, tasters you get more enthusiastic take notes. as you go along. <laughs> sounds good to me. I got one more thing for you guys to do on Thursday night. Your Brooklyn Nets take on the Portland Trailblazers here at the Barclays Center, 7:30. You could probably buy a ticket, a game day, check it out. You know, you see something online and uh, it's a good time. Yeah,
1: absolutely. We always have to support our Nets.
0: Let's go Nets.
1: Uh, Any final... Well, guys, that's uh, a lot to do. Yeah, absolutely. It's making me worried about all the work I have to do. I know. (laughs) I need a nap.
2: Well, Well, Bill
1: Rowdy, thank you for, again, coming by and sharing, you know, your best picks for what to do in the days ahead. Absolutely.
0: Yeah. And so I guess uh, we'll be on our way out. We have to, of course, thank everyone who partook on the show today.
1: Yeah. Thank you again to Councilman Rafael Espinal, um, activist Tony Herbert, two public and advocate candidates running from Brooklyn um, to Kevin Duggan and our beloved producer slash intern Natalie Rocha, who organized those interviews to Brookdale Hospital. Brookdale University Hospital Medical Center. Get your heart checked out, everybody. It's Heart Awareness Month. Make sure you know what's going on with yours. Johnny, thank you. Thank you, Tony. Another episode in the books. We'll be back next week. Tune in. Until then, goodbye. Peace out, Brooklyn.